Good morning, everyone. And welcome to Christ Community Church. We're so glad you could join us virtually this morning. That's right, Francis, virtually. We're not the only ones who wanted to say hello. Like Winston here. That's so true. And not virtually, really, but virtually to you. <laughs> who else wanted to say hello? Hmm. Let's cut to that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Hey guys, we miss you so much. Can't wait to see you again. Love you guys. Bye. I miss you. I cannot wait to see you all again. Well, hey, church family. Hope to see you guys soon. Can't wait to see you in person. Take care. Hi, 3C family. I'm looking forward to us worshiping again very soon in the garden. Stay well. Hey, C3. Miss and love you. Can't wait to see you. Hello, C3 family. I just want to say I miss you guys and can't wait to see you again. Miss and love you all. Can't wait to see you soon. Stay well. Hello, C3. We miss everybody. Hey, C3 family. I miss y'all very much. Can't wait to see y'all. Hi, this is my new friend, Jill. I just wanted to say I miss everybody. church family and friends. Happy Mother's Day. When Larry asked me to do the call to worship this week, I started thinking about uh, reading and researching verses about mothers and a good woman. And then I started thinking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
And I read in Luke about her response to the angel Gabriel, and I'd like to read some of that to you. When Gabriel tells her that she's gonna be the mother of the Son of God, this is her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then down in verse 47 of Luke, she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God, and may we all have servant hearts like Mary. Hey, welcome to Christ Community Church. Good morning. We're so glad you guys joined us this week. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I hope you guys are having an awesome morning. I hope you got flowers and candy and all that good stuff. Chocolates. Chocolates. Um, Matt and Francis, thank you so much for your hilarious video. That was super funny, right? It was so good. And Julia, uh, awesome to see your face again. Thanks for uh, your Thanks music for video for your faces. Yeah, all three of them. Yes. Um, and Robin, thank you for the call to worship. And, and also the, the video that Justin put together there with uh, everybody saying, hey, uh, really nice to see everybody's faces. Um, you guys sing along with us this morning? Let's worship together. Lord, I come and I confess I'm bowing here, I find my rest Without you, I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. A sinner runs deep. Your grace is more, your grace is found, it's where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in me, because Lord, I need you, oh, I Every hour I need you, you're my one defense, my righteousness. 
my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Cause Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Good morning, morning. And welcome to C3. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. So Larry is going to preach today, teach today about how God sees us differently than we often or actually see ourselves or how others see us. So I think it's safe to say that you are going to be talking somewhat about the truth, like hearing the truth versus... Seeing what's true about ourselves rather than what we're told yeah, okay. about ourselves. Right. So uh, in preparation for that, I was thinking about <clears throat> things that people have heard about themselves that just weren't true. And so I made a little list. <clears throat> so I think you'll know a lot <clears throat> of the names on this list. Okay, so uh, J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame. <laughs> you might have heard of her before. She has lists and lists and, and, and copies of rejection letters that include that where people said, agents and editors and people said, no, thank you, your book isn't good enough. We're not going to publish it. Um, so the irony of that, of course, is hilarious. But some of the phrases in some of those letters say things like, quote, perhaps work on your, making your manuscript relevant. Another one is, uh, maybe you should take a writing class or find a writer's group. That might help your work. Those are direct quotes from J.K. Rowling's rejection letters. Another one is our own, our hometown boy, John Grisham, who writes the mystery thrillers, and uh, he's written over 30 books. <clears throat> His first book, A Time to Kill, uh, was rejected 28 times. And it was said of, of that book, quote, he couldn't give that one away. So there's that. Madeline Lingle, do you remember her? The children's writer, not really just children's books, wrote a fabulous Newbery winner, um, a Wrinkle in Time. That book was rejected 26 times, and she was told that her writing was, quote, too difficult for children. Uh, two more. Catherine Stockett, who wrote The Help, she received 60 rejections from agents. She spent five years writing according to the source I read, and three and a half years of rejections. And she was told basically that her book wasn't good enough. That mm. book spent over 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm. And my favorite, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, was told by an editor to, quote, stick to teaching. 
Uh, that one is just offensive on a lot of levels, <laughs> many levels. And then one personal story uh, from me about a time when I heard something from someone that just wasn't true. All those authors heard things that just weren't true, that your book's no good, that you should stick to teaching, that this is, a, this is not relevant. Those were words that they heard that they have in print, but they proved not to be true. And those people didn't listen to all those words or certainly didn't stop and proved them not to be true. So in my own case, real quickly, um, if you know me, you know, and if you don't, I am te- going to tell you that I have a, a physical difference. A little hand. I was born with a limb difference. That's what the, that's what the kids are calling it these days. Ah. Uh, back when I was born, it was called a birth defect. And... Um, I have three fingers on my left hand. So that's it. I grew up, went to first grade, and um, actually in the middle of first grade, we moved. We lived in Midtown, and we moved to Whitehaven. I changed schools in the middle of first grade. Well, in my new school, there was a kid in the class named Carl. (laughs) And Carl told me very quickly, as the new kid, Carl told me that I was crippled. He just said, why are you crippled? You're crippled. Well, I'd never heard that. No one had ever told me that. So I don't know how long it took for me to finally tell my mother this. Why does it take us so long to examine what the truth is? But anyway, eventually I ended up telling my mother, well, Carl at school, mother, am I crippled? Well, if you know my mother, <laughs> or anybody's mother probably for that fact, she reared up and she said, who told you you were crippled? And I said, Carl. Carl told me I was crippled. Am I crippled? And my mother looked at me and she said, let me tell you something. If you can do what you want to do in the way you want and need to do it, then no. She asked you a question though, right? What she asked? She asked, she said, do you feel crippled? Yeah, that's right. That's the best part of the story. She said, do you feel crippled? And I said, "Uh, no. And then she said, if you can do what you want to do, the way, find a way in which to do it, then you are in no way crippled. Now get outside and practice that (laughs) cartwheel. Larry's going to talk to us today of a lot more examples of people who were told one thing where that just wasn't true or felt one way or heard something that wasn't true and God says other words to us that are true. And so I hope that you will hear something in that message today that speaks to you and is helpful to you, Vlad. Good morning. Um, Yes, I want to just spend a few minutes with you looking at what God's Word says about really uh, the essence of what I want to talk to you about today is just uh, the impact, the incredible impact that... uh, happens in our lives based upon who we choose to listen to. Uh, The people that we choose to listen to and believe, they're going to determine our lives in incredible ways. And I find it very crazy that we live in a world, um, the people that we choose to believe and listen to, film stars, the rich, the famous, the highly educated, athletes, these political comics, 
uh, that I just recently discovered, I guess being at home for so long, uh, flipping through all the channels. These people that uh, one day were trying to, you know, get free beers by telling jokes in bars, and the next minute they're experts on our political system. It is incredible who we choose to listen to. It's crazy to think that having specific knowledge or expertise or skill or success in one field makes us an expert in some way on totally unrelated fields. Um, I have friends who I adore, but I've heard them say several times, you know, I'm not going to listen to certain uh, or watch certain actors or actresses anymore because of their political views. Uh, And these are people that are uh, at the top of their field, some of the greatest actors and actresses living today. And yet, because they have political views or stands that are different than my friends, my friends are not going to watch them anymore and benefit from their expertise. I find that sad and confusing. My question is, why do you care what Meryl Streep believes about anything other than acting? If you want to learn how to act, I'd go and ask her. Or Robert De Niro, or Jack Nicholson, or Denzel Washington, or Morgan Freeman, or Tom Hanks, Meryl, I mean, uh, uh, Diane Keaton, or Helen Mirren. These people, I, I, I enjoy them immensely when it comes to the skill of acting. But why would I or anyone else care what their views are about relationships? or science, or health, or education, or politics, or economics. It's crazy um, that we give credence to people who we should not. Um, you know, if I, I wanted to uh, fly and learn to fly an airplane, I'd go ask David Cole. If I wanted some legal advice, I'd ask Renee Crawford. If I broke my leg, I'd go see Marvin. Or if I wanted to build a house, I'd go see Jerry Bowden. If I wanted to invest some money, I'd ask Michael Shira. If I needed physical therapy, I'd ask Susan Wampler. I'd go and see her. If uh, I wanted some thoughts on Shakespeare, I'd ask my bride. I got thoughts on Shakespeare. Uh, If I wanted to become an expert on Greek cooking, I'd ask George Kateris. Um, I was wondering what I might go and ask Meredith uh, about, (laughs) but I couldn't think of anything that she really knows much about, so never mind. Um... It's crazy uh, that we give credibility to people uh, who we should not when it comes to how we see ourselves and our lives. People without wisdom, without discernment, without knowledge of the facts, without an understanding of the mitigating circumstances or the background information, and yet we listen to people who affect how we see ourselves and how we see life. And uh, I would appeal to you that we should really be careful about who we choose to listen to, especially when it comes to how we see ourselves. The people that we listen to will impact our lives. And in a very real sense, they will determine our destiny. God sees us 
very differently than how we see ourselves and how others see us. Now, I want to just give you a few examples uh, to help you see where I'm going. Abraham and Sarah. Um, if you read Genesis uh, 12, uh, 15, 17, especially Genesis 17, one of the things that you discover is that this is a couple that knew and loved God. They were a couple that longed with all of their hearts to have a child. And I'm sure for the first uh, many, many years of their lives, 100 years of their lives, I, I guess I, could, I should say, um, they were known, they, had, they, they saw themselves and others saw them as being barren, childless, people that were never going to have a family. And yet in Genesis 17, we discover that God saw Abraham and Sarah very differently than they saw themselves. God didn't see Abraham as a childless person. He didn't see Sarah as a childless person. In fact, he changed their names from Abram to Abraham. And the name Abraham means father of multitudes. He changed Sarah's name to Sarah, which means mother of nations. God saw them very differently than they saw themselves or people around them would have seen them. Paul says in Galatians chapters 3, all who belong to Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, male and female, are all offsprings and heirs of Abraham. God didn't see this couple as barren. God saw them as being the parents of countless descendants and countless nations. Another example would be their grandson, Jacob. Jacob, I don't know why, but his parents named him when he was born Deceiver. His name is Jacob. It means deceiver, trickster, usurper. And yet later on in his life, God revealed to him a new name, a name that revealed how God saw Jacob. And that name was Israel. One having power with God, one having the power of God. Jacob didn't see himself as one having power with God, one having the power of God, and yet that's how God saw Jacob. And ultimately, through all the mistakes, all the problems, all the ups and the downs in Jacob's life, he became the father of the 12 nations of Israel and had unlimited, immeasurable power upon humanity through his life and his family. Moses, Moses, his wife, Pharaoh, Moses' siblings, no one in Moses' life, including Moses, saw, him, saw Moses the way God did. They saw him, they all, including as somebody that could not lead, would not be a great leader, would not be a good communicator. And yet, when you think of the greatest leaders in humanity, who do you think of? Who, well, who would be on that list? Moses would be at the top of that list. God saw him very differently than he saw himself and that others saw him. The nation of Israel itself, 
Uh, if I asked you to describe the nation of Israel in its history, what would you say? Small, weak, whining, faithless, a, a people with a history of, of repeated failures. I'm speaking really of their journey in the Old Testament. They, and especially their journey in the wilderness. They were a people group with a reputation that was incredibly negative. And if you read the rest of the Old Testament, they were a people group that had a future filled with problems, failures, and pain. And yet in Numbers 23, the Spirit of God fell upon a man. And, this, and God's Spirit through this man declared how God sees the nation of Israel. And here's what God says. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery is observed in Israel. The Lord is their God and He is with them. He is their King and He lives among them. People would read the Old Testament and go, wow, look at what a weak, whiny, mistake-filled, faithless group of people. And yet, when God sees the people of Israel, He sees them through a completely different set of lenses. I can say the same thing about Gideon. In fact, this whole lesson came to me as I was reading through the book of Judges last week. And um, God, uh, there's this fellow named Gideon. He wound up being a judge. But we find him uh, in the very in uh, Judges chapter 6. He's hiding down in a wine press, threshing grain, because he's terrified of the Midianites that have conquered his land. He's a man of fear. He's a man that's afraid. He's scared. And so he's hiding. And yet when God approaches him and reveals himself to Gideon and greets Gideon. He says, greetings, mighty warrior of valor. Do you see how, if you'd ask Gideon to describe himself, Gideon would not have said, I'm a mighty warrior, a man of valor. That's not the way Gideon saw himself. That's not the way his family and friends would have seen him. And yet that's how God saw Gideon. And ultimately, what was true about Gideon's life was revealed not in how Gideon saw himself or how others in Gideon's life saw him, but in how God saw Gideon. And I could go on and on with Naomi. Naomi saw her life as a one of bitterness. In fact, she changed her name. She told people, said, don't call me Naomi, what pleasantness. Call me Mara, uh, uh, bitterness. My life is bitter. But that's not how God saw Naomi. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, everyone that observed Ruth saw a foreigner, a beggar, a woman, a widow, someone that was barren. Everything in that culture would have been negative. They would have seen her in a negative light in every area of her life. And yet, she became the great-grandmother of King David. God did not see Ruth the way anyone else did. Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus. When God sends an angel to greet Mary, how does Mary, how is, here's a woman, here's a, here's a teenage girl that's been run out of town. Her family has abandoned her and told them to get out because they think she's uh, uh, pregnant by Joseph. And she has to go with Joseph from northern Israel down to southern Israel because of that census that took place. And 
uh, uh, I'm sure that everyone saw Mary through a lens, the same consistent lens. Probably the lens that while Mary was confused, she didn't see herself in a very high light either. And yet when the angel greets Mary, here's what he says. Greetings, highly favored woman. The Lord is with you. That was what was true of Mary's life. Regardless of how Mary saw herself at that moment, regardless of how other people saw Mary, what was true was that Mary was a highly favored woman and the Lord was with her. I skipped King David. Everyone in King David's life saw David through a lens that was not true. His brothers saw him in a lens that was flawed. Goliath saw him in a lens that was flawed. King Saul saw him in a lens that was flawed. His wife, Michael, saw him in a lens that was flawed. Even his own mighty men at times saw him through a lens that was flawed. One of the things that made David, David, one of the things that made David unique was his ability to not see himself and to not see his life through the lens of others but to see himself through the lens of how God saw him. And uh, Peter, uh, the Lord Jesus, chose Peter to be one of his disciples and ultimately one of his apostles. Peter was a man that was, he denied Christ. He, he battled with fear. He was rash. He was cocky. And yet when Jesus gives Peter a name, the name he gives him, is not rash one, denier, man of fear, cocky man. He says, Peter, your name is Rock. What, a, what an incredible name to be given. Peter, your name is Rock. What Jesus was saying, that there's going to be a day, Peter, when you and everybody in your life is going to see you as I do. And you're going to become the leader of the apostles. You're going to be the, the face of the New Testament church when you stand in Jerusalem uh, uh, after my resurrection and declare the gospel to the people of Jerusalem. You're going to be one of the writers of the Bible. You're going to be the one that introduces the gospel to the Gentile world. You're going to be the leader of the apostles. Jesus saw Peter as a rock. No one else did. But what Jesus saw was ultimately true, not what Peter and others saw. And you could say the same thing about the little boy that offered his lunch. What is that little lunch in comparison to the great throng among us? Well, in Jesus' eyes, it was a lot. It was enough to meet the need of thousands and thousands of people. The lady that gave the coins... She's given more in Jesus' eyes, she says. He says, she gave more than anyone else. The lady with the oil, leave her alone. She has done a good thing. She's anointed my body for, in advance for burial. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he could still smell that fragrant oil that that lady anointed him with. And I could go on and on with Mary Magdalene and John the Baptist and the lady at the well. None of these people probably saw themselves the way God did. They did not, they probably saw themselves the way their peers saw them, the way their experiences demanded that they see themselves. 
And yet what ultimately was true about each of these people is that their lives ultimately revealed that they became the people that God saw them to be. What people saw as unimportant, flawed, broken, insignificant, inadequate, God saw as significant, timeless, powerful, and impactful. God throughout the Bible delighted in giving people new names. Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Peter, Paul. And you know what? God still delights in giving people new names. Listen to what the Bible says, Isaiah 56. The Lord says, I will bless all who are now seen as alone, worthless, unimportant, rejected, and cursed, but have chosen to please me and committed their lives to me. I will give them a home and a legacy and a name that is glorious, unimaginable, and everlasting. God's going to give people who will trust Him and follow Him and devote their life. He's going to give them, what does it say? He's going to give them a new home, a new legacy, and a new name that is glorious, unimaginable, and everlasting. Isaiah 62, the nations and their leaders will see your righteousness and be blinded by your glory. And the Lord will give you a new name and hold you in his hand like a splendid crown. Wow. Imagine how a king must hold his crown. Imagine how God is holding us. Isaiah 65. All who have served the Lord and experienced names of shame and ridicule and mockery will be given new names of honor, respect, and glory. And then finally in Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says, pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To all who are victorious, I will give manna that's been hidden for them in heaven. And I'll give to each one a white stone that has been engraved with a new name. No one understands this name, will understand this name, except the one who receives it. You see, God didn't give people names just to be nice and sweet and encouraging like a parent or a grandparent would, would, would say little sweet names uh, uh, to their children or grandchildren to encourage them and make them try a little harder or be a little better. God is not like a cheerleader that's cheering for a losing team, but he keeps saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can win, even though everybody knows they can't. That's not what God's doing when he gives people new names. He's not trying to make us feel better or give us a little hope. God gave people new names to reveal how he saw them and what their destiny was going to ultimately be like. God's new names carry with them God's assurance that his plans for them would be fulfilled. Paul says in Romans 11, God's gifts, his plans, and his callings for us are irrevocable. They are without, without, without regret. Sorry. 
And I think of the prodigal son. That prodigal son was still the son of that father. From the day he was born to the day he died, he was the son of that father. And everything that that father owned was his. The father's love, the father's commitment, the father's passion, the father's forgiveness, the father's acceptance. It was all his. Everything that the father had was his. Even when that boy ran away, even when that boy was living in a foreign land, even when that boy was living with the pigs, it didn't change who he was. And ultimately, when the boy remembered who he was, that led him back to the father so that he could experience all that, was, that went along with being who he was. I just want to challenge us today to be careful. Who we listen to is going to impact our lives, and it's ultimately going to determine who we are and what our lives look like. Do the people that we listen to and believe, do they really know us? Do they love us? Are they people of wisdom and discernment? If we want to know what's true about us, rather than listening to ourselves, rather than listening to what the world would say, maybe even listening to those closest to us, we need to listen to what is true. We need to listen to God's Word. We need to listen to God's Spirit. We need to listen to God's people so that we can discover What is really true about our lives? I'll say this in closing. Um, We have an opportunity to help people discover how God sees them. Or we have an opportunity to confuse people as to how God sees them. What an incredible opportunity to be used by God to help people see themselves as God sees them rather than confusing them. Uh, We need to be so careful how we talk to one another, to our mates, to our children, to our friends. Because what we say to them will impact how they see themselves. Uh, We just need to be very, very careful who we believe. Um, um, Are they speaking what is true? Are they speaking what is consistent with the Word of God? Remember that the name that God gives us, it's a new name. It's a new name. It communicates that we're going to start over again. Starting today, we have a fresh start. That's why in 1 John, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God washes us clean when we confess our sins so that we can start over. Remember, that it's a new name. God says we're forgiven. We're adopted. We're not alone. We're protected and provided for. We're delighted in. We are listened to. We are the habitation of God and we are owned by God. We are given access to God's wisdom, God's power, God's joy, God's peace, God's courage. And we have been told by God Himself that our future is bright and our eternity is secure. Those are the things that are true about us. Those are the things that God sees when He looks at us and thinks about us. Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? Peter says in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as select, and you have been selected to show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A people once with no identity, now you're a part of God's family. Once you lived merciless lives, but now you live lives that are filled with mercy. Do you, will you, I guess I should say, will you consider that you might not see yourself the way God does? And that where the difference is between how you see yourself and the way God sees you, God's right and you're wrong. Would you consider that what you're told about yourself by others might be very different from the way God sees you? And the difference being the way God sees you is what is true. I would challenge us all to just uh, to embrace the journey of discovering what is true about us. How does God see me? What does God say is true about my life? And to believe that and allow that to impact us and change us so that we see ourselves the way God does. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now. So if you've got some wine or water or juice or anything else and some bread or crackers, I want you to take that now. And um, uh, I've noticed this verse in Romans chapter 8. Uh, this morning, Paul says, Jesus came and died so that the righteous requirements of God's law may be fulfilled in us. Jesus came and died so that the righteousness, the righteous requirements of God's law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we, by placing our faith in that work of Christ, we can enjoy His righteousness. He takes away our unrighteousness and He gives us His righteousness. And by eating and drinking, you will take that, friend. Thank you. By eating and drinking bread and wine, we're declaring I have received the righteousness of Christ. I trust in his death on the cross and I give him my unrighteousness and I accept his righteousness. So you join us by eating and drinking now. I want to just mention to you that starting this Wednesday night, we're going to try to do something, uh, to have a little Wednesday night Bible study through the month of May. And uh, I'm not sure what that's going to look like or how that's going to work yet. It'll probably be a Zoom type meeting and I'm going to need some help. Uh, Justin doesn't know that yet, but he's going to have to help me put that together. But if you would like to participate in that Bible study in the, just in the month of May, um, please text me or email me or call me and I'll tell you more about that. Um, I just want to give you a blessing as we end today from Zephaniah chapter 3. God says, cheer up and don't be afraid. 
For the Lord your God is living among you, and he is a mighty Savior, and he takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears and rejoice over you with glad singing. Bless you today. Happy Mother's Day. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Jesus, 
Thanks again for joining us this week. Um, happy Mother's Day. I'm um, glad you guys did join us for uh, Mother's Day. Am I forgetting anything this week? Virtually. Virtually. <laughs> we'll be back again, same place, Facebook Live. Uh, y'all have a great week. Thank y'all.